Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Crystal Fall, I'm the editor of the Toolkit. And my guest today is Sam Esmail, the executive producer and director of the Amazon series Homecoming. And today's podcast is brought to you by ABC's award-winning comedy series Blackish, starring Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross. Nominated for 13 Emmy Awards, the AV Club called it the sharpest, wittiest comedy writing on TV. Fearless and funny, Blackish is for your consideration in all Emmy categories, including outstanding comedy. Series. We, of course, had Sam Ismail on a couple years ago for uh, Mr. Robot. Now he's back with the Julia Roberts starring uh, series for Amazon based on the popular podcast uh, Homecoming. Sam, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me at the, the Trump building. Is that, oh, I wasn't going <laughs> to reveal that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it's, I, think it, I think it's interesting. They I didn't bring you in the service entrance in the back? <laughs> they tried to get me going Pine Street. <laughs> no, I proudly walked through the front. Um, no, it'll be, uh, it'll be, it's a nice atmosphere to talk about government and paranoia and surveillance and so corruption. Are you a big uh, podcast fan? Is it, are you someone that, I mean, LA, I just always assume everybody's in the car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. I, I do listen to podcasts, but I don't know if I listen to a lot of different podcasts. Uh-huh. I have like my, obviously, I'll, I'll just give a shout out to Chris and Andy on the Watch podcast. I'm a huge listener of their podcasts. I and, love Siri. And you, you've turned one of his things. He's, a sh- he's making and a show I'm, for yeah, you. He's making yeah, a show exactly, for you, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. We'll a, talk a about Briar Patch if we have time, but yeah. Um, and I listen to Serial, but yeah, I'm not, I don't know if I just, yeah, I don't know if I listen to a lot of different ones. So how did this come to you? Is this? My agent. So it's kind of, it's kind of boring, right? Because uh. that's typically, like, that's what you would assume would happen. Generally it doesn't, but my agent, he called me up and he said there was this great, po- there's this great podcast. I don't think all of it had come out yet. I think mm-hmm. only two had been released, but he had the whole season because that's what agents do. And he had, he had said, you know, it's getting rave reviews. I looked it up online and he's like, uh, they want to turn it into a movie or a TV show. They don't know what it is yet. And I wasn't inclined to just adapt something into a TV show, especially if it's working so great in an audio format. Um, but I said as a fan, I'd listen to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I binged it all. I, you know, the first six, I didn't, I didn't even actually listen to the second season because it, it had come out like way later. But I had listened to the first six episodes in one sitting and became obsessed. I binged it shortly thereafter with my wife, the, in, in, again in one sitting. And it was about the third binge <laughs> that I started to see a TV show in my, my brain. And so that's really the form it came to you in, is it came to you in podcast form. Correct. And, because I wanted to kind of break this, you directed this. But yes. this is your, I, this, this became a, a, a TV show when you signed on, you're going to do this. And I believe you brought on the writers from the podcast who didn't necessarily have TV experience, Correct. right? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's a thing here, where, and we, we, we've talked about this quite a bit with Mr. Robot, is, you know, you kind of coming up wanting to be an independent film director and ending up in this TV vertical and how to turn that into your stuff. And so here's something where you're bringing this on to, to direct and I imagine you're also guiding the writing in the process, right? Sure. I mean, I'm 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 involved in the writing um, like a director would be involved in the writing in terms of how 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 I see it cinematically and and how that's going to affect the story. But also, what I did see in the pod, what, what I did listen to in the podcast that made me realize there's a a relevant reason here to adapt this into a TV show. 
And, and that was the thing I pitched to the writers. I said, if this is what you want to do, because you know, my, the, 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 the worst knee-jerk reaction to something like Homecoming, and you've listened to the podcast, right? You have not, okay. Um, um, the, the, you know, it's a series of conversations between two people, mm-hmm. and um, I thought the knee-jerk reaction, the, the bad knee-jerk reaction would be to extend it into an hour-long drama and throw in set pieces and car chases and, and quote-unquote, turn it into something cinematic. And I just thought that did such a disservice to what the spirit of the show, what, what, why I love the podcast so much, that it wasn't anything like that. It was this intimate sort of character-based thriller. And the, the, the set pieces were the, the quiet moments, the secrets that they tell each other, the lies that they tell each other, the lies that they tell themselves. That's what was so special about it. That's what made it, that's what made it feel so different. And for me... I thought not having Eli and Micah come in and do this would do it, you know, these are the guys that created that special thing that I loved so much. So it was never a part of the conversation where they weren't going to adapt it. I, I, I knew that, you know, they did such a great job on the podcast, I would be foolish to ignore that, you know. And so what about that step? I imagine you start talking about how to, you don't want to just throw on car chases, but you do have to build out that Correct. world a little bit. So I, my guess is, and I, this is my guess watching it too, is that it, it was the Bobby and Julia phone conversations that are kind of the heart of the podcast, right? Yeah, that are kind yeah. of made to, okay. Right. So, well, no, and then there's yeah. Walter, Walter and Heidi are, are kind oh. of the heart of the podcast, okay. which is on the podcast played by Catherine Keener and Oscar Isaac. Oh, okay, okay. But but David Schwimmer and Catherine Keener also do a great job. It's a, kind of like a three-hander in that way. Okay, and so how the idea of building that out, I mean, imagine there's the sense of what this lab is or what this facility is. Because there's also this element of like not wanting to ruin the essence of it, but also, you know, what are you going to do with your camera? What do I want to see with my camera? What do I want to be in? Where do I want what these spaces to be? Well, we just, we talked a lot about, um, we, t- we talked a lot about boxes, Weirdly, and, and 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 that's part of what drove a lot of the visual grammar of the show, which is we talked a lot about like people in fishbowls, and then you pull out and you reveal the box outside the box, and you pull out and you reveal you keep revealing the box outside the box, and that people are not actually aware of um, aware of the box that they're in, um, or that even that there's a box that, uh, you know that's inside of the box that they're in. So. So when we started there, then that kind of turned into the facility. And part of the reason why we built, I mean, Anastasia White, my amazing production designer, we built a two-story facility and, that, and I didn't want to shoot it on location was because I wanted that surveillance. And something that was great in the podcast is that it always constantly felt like you were eavesdropping on their conversations. And they, right, you know, what, what Eli and Micah did so brilliantly was that you know, all the conversations felt like they were taped or it felt like they were from the tape recorder or the phone conversations. So I really wanted to play with that visually. And so that required me to be able to put the camera anywhere I want so I can be looking down at these soldiers and Heidi like they're under a microscope and putting the audience in that voyeuristic position. And that's part of the reason why we did that long take in the first episode when we're kind of creeping around the facility. Um, So, you know, that drove a lot of the conversation around all the locations, but mainly the facility. But But then on top of that, then we were, because, you know, I think when you listen to the podcast 
and you hear facility and you hear soldiers being in, in there for treatment, you kind of like start thinking, you know, white walls, mm -hmm. you know, um, sanitized, very clinical. And again, the writers, I think, came up with this and we, we all kind of jockeyed it around. But how would a corporation envision a facility, especially if they're trying to mislead or misdirect the soldiers? And so they would take over an office building and then bring in a hip, um, I'm using air quotes here, you guys can't see it, but um, a, a hip d a designer and just it starts to feel a little off, like they're trying a little too hard and the offices are turned into bedrooms and it's just like those little subtle off-kilter things that really start to fill in the details that you know you didn't quite get in the podcast and it just adds to that because I think the great the genius of the podcast and what we were trying to do in the TV show is just to make things feel slightly askew mm. you go way too overboard it kills the mystery and kills the suspense my favorite is the um, uh, Walter's bedroom where it, it, it kind of it, this was an office or this was a hospital room and it's very homey inside and lighting right. but it's like out from the hallway it's like but it's like trying too hard it's like, you know? it's like that's where the office manager worked you know, <laughs> exactly. it's, like, you know exactly. it's, it's like a bedroom yeah and, and the other thing about it is and you were talking about the fact that th this was a build you kind of you know Mr. Robot does an amazing job using uh, locations all around here but um, that exploring with your camera and kind of like that ability every once in a while it seems like when you want to excavate you can go high and go over spaces mm -hmm. and through spaces that seems to the way that you just described that space it seems as if also thinking about it as a director this really had to be a set where you could do that with your camera it had to be a set and you know i think with most sets you know you go around the corner there's nothing there you see the flats you open the door there's no room Anastasia couldn't do that. She didn't have that luxury because I was Rome. I was moving the camera around, especially if you're looking down. And so she literally had to build a two-story office building on a soundstage. And we, in fact, we had to get one of the. I think it's considered the biggest soundstage in Southern California. Now it was brand new when we moved in. We were the first ones to use it uh, in Burbank on the Universal lot. And I, 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 you know, but I think it pays off when you start to get those shots and it just feels like you are this bird's eye view, this God's point of view, which is exactly what we wanted the audience to feel like. Mm -hmm. What about the structuring of this? I, I, the, you just said about this box element and a reveal. It, it feels as if each episode is that on a larger scale. This is, we're gonna, on, we're gonna on a, it's happening on a micro level, but this is gonna be one box that we're gonna unpeel, both in terms of what's happening currently and what happened um, at the time. Right, and then we're kind of coming at it from two different ends. But I think that's the key to the key to mystery, right? Key to a really good mystery, at least, is that you know when to dole out information and when to keep it. And because, you know, you go one way, you know, you go, you go a little too far one way or the other, it's either gonna frustrate people or it's going to just kind of, you know, ruin the mystery. Um, the thing that we kept going back to were the characters. Like, you know, emotionally, how uh, like letting each reveal sort of impact them and let it, and so so that it's not a, it's never about especially i mean if you take a look at the endings of the episodes they're never really these big cliffhanging gotcha moments they're really kind of slow reveals and then we do this thing with the credit sequence where we play out whatever the last scene is in real time 
just to kind of reinforce this lingering effect that this is going to be a different kind of mystery where we're not going to, you know, again, we're not going to splash these like big twists at the end, but it's more of a subtle, like slow awareness. And we just thought that reflected Heidi's journey in the 2022 storyline where she's slowly starting to remember things. The, the those and both the note that you hit, because you don't hit a um, cliffhanger note. You, right. Which you've hit before. You've done very well. Right. <laughs> uh, you're hitting, um, I don't know, a moment of realization, a moment that we're going to sit in. Right. Uh, often it's a character kind of coming to some emotional realization or some kind of intellectual realization. Um, and we sit in it and the credits roll over. And I'll be honest, I was in a, I was crashing to finish the show before today. So time is of that. I sat. Yeah. I watched. I watched that shot. I watched all the, and I knew who. You know, I know Todd shot the movie. I know, you know, I knew. <laughs> I knew who did. I know, I know who Julia Roberts is. I need to see the credits. You know, and I, I was just. I, I stayed in that moment, and it's really, it's really powerful. I, I, was there a movie? You know, I. It's done differently, but Michael Clayton was one that that oh, uh, that, 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 I that I love. That is there. Is this something that? Is this is this being free from broadcast and and being able to do something like this with credits? Is this? I don't know. I know that there was a part of me that wanted. You know how when you watch anything on Amazon or Netflix yeah. or any of the streamers, the little skip yes. credits. Yeah. I did kind of want to troll those people. Like I kind of wanted to. Well, are you going to do it now? <laughs> and maybe they will. But um, but you don't know the answer to that. I do don't. You? Yeah. I guess we'll find out. Well, if Amazon shares the numbers, I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> but um. But actually, I kind of wonder, is Amazon going to put the skip thing as the credits roll, yeah. even though, they, I don't know, it'll be interesting, well, I guess we'll find out I bet Friday. they give it, like, I, I honestly, I bet they do it, but they give it like five, ten seconds. Right. Do you know right. what I'm saying? They, right. they kind of split the baby, which is fair. Which right. Is, that's, that's, a, that's a reason. That's fair, yeah. Um, but I, to, for me, it wasn't inspired by anything other than, like the ending of the first episode. I remember when, we were, when Todd, Todd and I would kind of sit around, we shot list, we figured it out, we designed all the... Um, you know um, wh- how the show's going to begin and end. And we got to the ending, and Heidi says no, and she walks off. And it, it was the first time it struck me that this this is not a typical show. That's not like an ending where you're like crescendo music, bam. Um, and am I just supposed to fade to black? I mean, it just felt weird. And and then we and then we kind of put a pin in it, and we went to the second episode, same feeling. And then the third. And I just said, well, this is not, so let's lean, let's let that inspire us. What does that mean? That means that it's, it's disturbing, it's unsettling, but it's not a wow ending. It's a slow creep. And that's sort of what drove the, the idea to, to kind of have these lingering credit sequences. And I apologize for not knowing this, but you know, the structure of these shows is, um, you know, there's the element of, of, of when Julia Roberts' character was running this um, homecoming facility. facility. Yeah. And then the the present day where it's um, uh, it, it's it's being investigated and she's trying to piece together what happened. Um, in the podcast, are there there are there two strong storylines like that of both? Correct. Uh, both. So was there an element here of naturally? I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how much did you have to create in the sense of w- with the fact that an episode has this thematic unboxing and, and kind of giving equal weight to both of those. Did it, uh, that structure of those two stories working against each other in episodes, is that something you had to create or is that something that existed? No, that was something that was that existed okay. in the podcast. Now, we, we did deviate a lot from the 
podcast. And now, now is again one of the reasons why I signed on because I did see that there was a different way to tell the story visually that you couldn't do in the podcast. I'll give you an example. So in episode three, you'll see Walter and Schreier, they steal the van and, and, and take off because Schreier has this theory that they're not actually in Florida and they're being lied to. And then they drive off and then they discover this odd little town where it kind of feels like it's out of place and, and a little phony and a little fake. And then you come to realize it's just a retirement village and they are in Florida. In the podcast, that whole sequence is told by Walter to Heidi in hindsight, after the fact. And he's laughing about it before you even know what the story is. So it killed all the suspense and tension. And that was a, that I remember that being one of the kind of convincing moments for me to, to jump in and, and do this uh, uh, and adapt this because now with the show we were able to be with Walter and Schreier and there was, that, there was some suspense and tension of whether or not Schreier's theory was going to prove out. I love I love the the lip. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> are you a shameless fan? Yeah, I've seen sh- yeah. yeah. Yeah, I assume I assume that's where I, I mean he's a good oh, actor. Oh yeah, I, I mean did, my guess is you're a hundred episodes in and yeah, see that exactly. <laughs> I am. He's I been am. your wife's uh, little brother for a while. Oh yeah, he's he's, he's, a, he's he's a brilliant actor. Um, the you know the 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 present day of up through episode seven is the one one aspect ratio yeah. and then then. It, and it's a wonderful it's good way. That you caught the aspect because a lot of people keep saying four three. You, you know? know what the thing is? I've been thinking about a lot. Our eyes think four three is square, right? And our eyes on screen. Because I saw when I saw um, what was the Xavier Dolan movie? Uh, Mommy. Mommy. Yeah. I thought that was vertical. Do you know? I thought that you thought was, it was a, a little, little, little taller than wider, and that's because you know. And if you think four by three is a box, you don't see one by one. And I actually on my laptop went and and and, and kind of etched it out on yours to see if to see if it was one one. It's fascinating because I mean, first off, I'd love to know why you did that. that, that I did that, yeah. but there's also this element because I'm sure you're you're like all of us where it's like one by one is not something I've been framing in my life, but now right. suddenly I'm on my phone. Right. And right. You know, if that's how I'm going to broadcast it on Instagram, right? And it's 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 when I first saw Mommy, I was like, Jesus, what? A, it, which is a great movie, by the way. And Xavier did a yeah. great job job with that. But it's kind of like, Ish. and now, like three years later, I'm like, you know, this is a really interesting device. It's a really interesting way of framing things. Yeah. It's a whole different way of thinking about the lens right. and how you do it. But but we can get into that in a second. I'm, the idea behind the, the the idea always. So Todd and I, whenever we sit down to talk about shots. We always start with the character. We always start with their point of view. And in this case, with 2022, we, you know, Heidi, we find Heidi working at a diner. She's obviously, her career is kind of a dead end. She's a little defeated, downtrodden. So we reflected that in the lighting, which, you, you know, you'll notice in 2022, it's a little flatter. It's a little desat- more desaturated. Um, but then, but then I, there was that, there was a, the big aspect of Heidi in 2022 was her memory. That, that's obviously also just a big aspect of the show, big theme of the show. And how are we going to represent that? And so I had the idea of, well, in 2022, in 2018, Heidi sees the full picture. She's, she's sort of got a great job and she's on the upswing. Here she's, you know, she's not seeing the full picture. And what if we did just box her in? She's also being pursued by Carrasco. She's being pursued by Colin. So there was something claustrophobic and 
and, and limited about that box aspect ratio that I thought fit what she w was going through in that 2022 storyline. It also, can I, now can I jump into episode eight really quick? I thought it was seven, but yeah, you know it better than me. Yeah, okay, I was about so, to go there. Yeah. So, so we, we did, Todd and I decided that, right? And we were like, okay, let's play this out as we kind of shot list throughout the whole season. And we get to episode eight. And you know, the moment when Heidi remembers everything it's kind of impossible. I mean, I'm I, obviously I have the best of the best. I have Julia Roberts, right? But I'm supposed to tell Julia Roberts, okay, now look into the camera and all your memories are flooding back. Go. I mean, what the hell does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And so again, and obviously she's brilliant and she she does an amazing job in that scene. But visually, that's when it really paid off for us. And again, we didn't plan it that way. It kind of organically grew. Then when we got to that moment, the now she's seeing the whole picture, and you clearly know what's going on. You clearly feel it with her. Um, and another another thing, you know, and also just be clear, this is the aspect ratio. The aspect ratio now go yeah. now goes wide, and now you see the full full frame. Um, the other thing is, is that for the longest time, like in Mommy, we were just going to wipe off, mm. you know. And in fact, we were going to do that very close to when we were shooting that scene. It was just going to be a wipe off. That felt wrong to me because it, it wasn't because you know it's and it's a very subtle difference. It wasn't that Heidi could see more of the room, but it's just that her world felt like now she now it's bigger. Now I now I feel more of what my of my past of my world, and so that's when the Zali device came into play. Where it's not just a wipe off. It's no, she's her world is expanding. Yeah, kind of this vertigo thing. Where it goes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. She's wonderful at that, too. She's great, yeah. There's that moment, um, it, all three of those things, her, that kind of effect, and then the aspect ratio, it's really, it becomes this veil that comes up. And But she's also so good at, at those moments of realization. The one that I always remember is uh, Ocean's Eleven, when she's walking, they, they, Soderbergh just kind of did it with that tracking shot, where it's like that moment she's decided to get back with Danny, right. and it's just, it happens all in one motion. You yeah. see, and, her, and it's all just, she, decided, everything that just, that she's decided is just her walking through the casino and it's done. Yeah. It's like, it's that's a pretty rare thing to be able to do. It's so that. rare. And I gotta say, the detail, the attention to detail she she gives to every performance, she keeps the scene alive. Just in between lines, every line, but every, every turn, um, she's always doing something and she's always telling a story. At what point did you know that you were creating this for her in the Heidi role and, and how does that influence it? Yeah, so, you know, so as soon as I signed on, we I got Eli, Eli and Micah started working on the pilot, and then Julie and I have the same agent, so he told me that... Uh, you could uh, get it to her. Well, <laughs> you no, know, he actually told me that she listened to the podcast, oh, was a fan of the podcast. Oh, okay, cool. And I was like, oh, cool. And then he's like, she's also a fan of Mr. Robot. And I just like fell over in my seat, because yeah. I didn't know Julia Roberts watched Mr. Robot. Um, and she'd like to talk to you. And I, okay, great. Um, and uh, and we scheduled a FaceTime. And I think it was like two weeks before my wedding. 
And so I was like nervous about my wedding. I was like terrible at dance lessons, and you know. And um, by the way, that's when you were on this podcast last time. Was it? It was, was like it? two weeks before you went off to New Zealand. There you go. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, that was a little <laughs> earlier, but yeah, no. Um, that w- I know that's probably not part of the memory from two years ago with the <laughs> wedding. Right. And Julie Roberts could do a TV show. <laughs> Just throw that in there too. Well, <laughs> I was so nervous talking to her. Um, I mean, I was so nervous in the build-up to talking to her. I mean, I had my notes down, uh, how I saw the character, the tone of the show, etc., and. The minute we started talking, it all went away. She's so disarming. Mm. She was just un, just a person, and we just we just hit it off. I mean, we started talking like we were old friends. We were talking about my wedding. She was talking about her family. We honestly didn't even talk about the show for a good forty-five minutes. We were just, you know, shooting the breeze. We eventually got to the show, but by that point, I think we were like so enamored mm. with each other in terms of you know, just who we were as people and how we were as creative people specifically, that we, we knew we had to work together. And what about, though, that element? Because I'll be honest with you, I, this show would work without Julia. You know I'm saying? Like, this is, this, this, that role could be played by someone else, but when it is Julia Roberts, I wonder how does that factor in? Do you know what I'm saying? In that sense of, like, she's going to bring something to this role. Does that shape in how you create it, or is it that she can adapt to whatever we do? She can adapt to yeah. whatever we do. I mean, there was never there was never talk of okay, now we have a one of the biggest movie stars yeah. of our lifetime in the show. We should yeah. glam up the character. We should put her in you know stylish dresses. Mm-hmm. It was it was in fact we did the opposite. If you see the show, it's yeah. you know she's dressed down. She's not, um, uh, she's not like uh, made up to be a, a, a movie star appeal at all. Um, we stayed true to the character. I mean, th- but to me, that is the reason why Julia yeah. Roberts is perfect because well, she, was, she uh, can do that. Yeah. She can do anything. There's an efficiency too of how it, empath- the empathy that's between her and the Stephen James character, and how instantly that connect that that uh, one senses that you're able to get there a lot quicker with her behind the desk there than it, than if it was someone else. Oh yeah, I mean, think it. about it. Those scenes are you know ten pages long. Mm-hmm. You need to be mesmerized by the people talking in those scenes, or it's not going to work. And you know, luckily, not only did we get the amazing Julia Roberts, but we found an amazing Walter and Stefan James. Yeah, I, have you seen Beale Street? I have it. Have you? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, he's it got a, Yeah, it's very good. It's it's excellent. It's excellent. Um, uh, but uh, he's got this earnestness. Yeah. He it's 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 in it's in that and it's in this where um, both you and Barry really lean on just how. It, and sometimes that could come across as simple. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's not. Oh, it's, it's ju- not. It's just. Uh, it, it, when he auditioned, I you know I generally don't love auditions on tape, but mm-hmm. he was in the middle of shooting Beale Street. Mm-hmm. I was in LA, so he had to send me a tape, and I watched it, and I couldn't take my eyes off of him. In fact, I think I watched his audition once without the sound on, mm-hmm. and you can, he just tells so much with his eyes. But you're right; there's just this, like. It would be a struggle for him to be disingenuous. It just feels like he is so honest and, and real. And it, and then when he came out, we brought him out to L.A. for a chemistry read with Julia. And I thought for sure he'd be nervous and, you know, you know forgetting his lines. Because, again, we, it's an 11-page audition scene. And, um, and he was just, I mean, it, for, first of all, their chemistry was off the charts. But he just hung in there with her, and you know, and it just felt like, wow, you're watching two two real people talking. It was it was really fascinating. I think, though, my favorite thing about this show, 
is is the music and the way that some of this so harks back to these Hollywood thriller movies and these noir movies and the sense of mystery that is it's in there, but there's so many different ways of looking at this. And the music is kind of shaping this in this wonderful, and it's also, other times it's playful. It's, I wonder if you just talk about, you know, I had, I, before we started recording, I had said composer, like no composer. <laughs> so <laughs> right. this, is, this is you playing DJ. Uh, but uh, yeah. it's, um, it's a wonderful, inventive, and effective use of music. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about well, it. Well, you know, I mean, for Mr. Robot, we've talked about this. Music is everything to me. It's the heart and soul of, of a of a movie or a TV show to me um, because it's so it's it can be such an injection of tone and I think tone is is everything to a story. Um, so when we were talking about the music for this, I obviously the some of the big inspirations for why I even wanted to uh, tackle this subject matter on in the first place was I w it felt like a throwback to those classic thrillers I watched growing up: Hitchcock, De Palma, Pakula. Kubrick, I mean, the list can go on and on, but when we started talking about music, I started, you know, I started talking to my editors about those classic scores, Pino Donaggio and, and Bernard Herrmann and John Williams and, um, and John Carpenter even, and, um, and I just started thinking, well, this is going to be really unfair to ask a music composer to ape David Shire's conversation theme mm. you know that's just ridiculous or 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 to, to to ask someone to ape michael small's theme from clute um and so i just took a moment and said we should embrace this we should embrace that this isn't this is too critical for me to ask someone to be derivative which is also not very fair to them but also I wouldn't want that. I would always constantly compare it to the real thing. And I just thought it was so critical to the kind of uh, tightrope walk that we're doing with tone here in the show that I just thought, well, okay, let's just go out. And, you know, we did our, we did our kind of due diligence and looked it up. And, is, it, are these hard, is it hard to get all of It's hard. It's, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money. Um, because, you know, in a lot of cases, you have to actually get, go back to the original recording, two, get yeah. those players. Um, but to me, it was it was just it was the best. It was it was worth it. So, this idea, this idea, and we have to wrap up. Um, Are you getting the? I guess yeah, he's, he's appeared a couple <laughs> times. Nice, <laughs> nice gentleman. Um, uh, I should switch seats with you, so we had to do it to you. <laughs> um, the uh, the um, this idea of coming on, you know, Mister Robot. Is, is, is and we talked about this before. Is, is this insane thing where it's this element of you doing everything? I mean, you have a wonderful writers' room, but this is your story, and your 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 hands are all over the script, and you're in the writers' room, and then you're going to go do it. And this element of now, I don't know how many Mr. Robots anybody has in them to, to that degree to do all that. And so this is a little bit more of that model of a film, of a director coming on. And of course, all these directors, there are directors for hire in film, but these are people that come, there are most of the movies that you and I love are ones that the director came in and shaped it and kind right. of, because right. the structure is just as much important as the camera movement in, in terms Absolutely, of how you want to yeah. tell the story. Is you, after Mr. Robot, you have the power to do something like this. But uh, now, having been, having done one like this, 
this is sustainable, right? This is something that's doable for someone like you to come in and do all 10. Is it, you know, is it something where you have to build a production? And I was talking to Kerry, who just did Maniac, and there was this element, he was very honest about the fact that there's a decision-making tree that all runs through me, and so things get boxed. If I don't have everything lined up ahead of time, it's boxed up and right, I right. become a cog in the wheel. You, of course, have seasons of Mr. Robot and having done the block shooting to right. figure it out, but I mean, is it something where you're still trying to figure out the best way to make an efficient production and get through ten episodes? I mean, this is only half hour, so it's a little bit easier. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't, I, well, by the way, the half hour format I think is amazing. It's like I'm obsessed with it now. I think every show should be half hour. Uh, but I you know, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Did you say you disagree? I don't disagree. Oh, you don't. I disagree. also don't, don't disagree when you're done. And this is the Amazon Netflix things. When you're done at minute 24, I can't remember what episode you're yeah. on. Like, I don't need to extend this another five minutes. I'm done. Exactly. I'm out. I love that. Yeah. I love. I love. Anyway, yeah, because it does. They fly by, but honestly, it's 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 also just better storytelling because it yeah. does make you want more, which is like the whole key to the whole thing. But um, but I think you know, I I look. I'm not the first person that's directed a whole season of television, right? There's mm. Carrie. Carrie did it with Maniac. But there's a difference though, Sam. Your ability to shape it too. Do you know what I'm saying? That it, Carrie just did, but like when Carrie did True Detective, right? There was, there right, was right, Nick, right, you know? right. I, look, I think I, I can only speak to my experience, which is it's 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 difficult. But if you are passionate about your storytelling, and if you have like the best team around you, which by the way, I. I couldn't have done this without my team. I took my you took costume yeah. designer, my pot, my production designer, my my cinematographer, and brought them all out here. And so, a lot of that I leaned on them a lot. Um, you know, I don't know how many times I can do like I don't. You know, the Mr. Robot thing where I was the showrunner and the director. I don't know if I could. I mean that that almost gave me a heart attack. Um, but. Um, I guess I don't. I guess the. I guess the, to me, like the key is is, is having that t team that's going to support you and support your vision and 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 also challenge you and, and make you better. I think I, I couldn't have done it without that. Also, a team that knows how to build a production around right. the, the limitations. Right, and and, and a team that you can trust, yeah. so that I don't have the bottlenecking issue mm -hmm. that Carrie had. Mm -hmm. That I know that Sasha, my production designer, can make decisions without me because mm -hmm. she knows who I am and she knows what I want. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Cat. My costume designer and obviously Todd. So I feel like you, you, yes, it can be streamlined if you got that core. Okay, gotta let you go, okay. uh, Sam Esmail with Homecoming. It's a wonderful, wonderful show, and we get to see it all at once. You can just go on Amazon and see it all at once. All right, all right. thanks, bud. Thanks. And today's podcast was brought to you by Freeform's critically acclaimed comedy series Grownish, starring Yara Shahidi. The popular Blackish spinoff now in its second season follows Zoe Johnson and her friends as they return for their sophomore year at college. The Root calls Grownish a favorite, feel-good escape from reality. Edgy and relatable, please consider Grownish in all Emmy categories, including Outstanding Comedy Series. And please stay tuned to the podcast. We, of course, had Bill Hader on last week talking Barry, but um, her dive into Emmy-worthy shows has just beginning. Uh, ben Stiller talking uh, Escape from Denimora, Amy Sherman Palladino on Miss Maisels, Leslie Hedlund uh, came in and broke down uh, Russian Doll. And we have a very, very special uh, Game of Thrones podcast you won't want to miss uh, with a guest I've promised to keep embargoed until uh, next week. Okay, stay tuned.